for for a split second, I thought I heard like a little bit of a boo, like boo, that was over here, and uh, that's cool too. That's exciting. I haven't been booed yet, so I was kind of, I was kind of hoping for a boo, especially since Pastor Lee's here. He'd have my back, so it'd be okay. <laughs> Amen. I'm sure I'll get an opportunity <laughs> to experience a boo at some point in my life. Uh. We uh, had just last week concluded uh, a series that we've been in on Wednesdays called God Thoughts. And uh, we just really took the evening to quiet ourselves, have some extended worship, and uh, hopefully practice uh, paying attention to those God Thoughts. Um, so did, did you get anything out of our little quiet time last week? That was good. That was really good. And, and I like being able to take uh, a Wednesday to be able to accomplish that. Um, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's refreshing to me personally as a pastor, and, uh, I know it's refreshing to us as a faith community to just slow down and for, for an hour, just really say, you know, Jesus, w- what do you want to say to us individually? And to be still. And hopefully there's things that we do, um, together here that create a template or a pattern for things that you can do in your daily life. Uh, all of this thing that we, that we do in regards to church and what we teach and what we learn needs to translate and be assimilated into the day-to-day. Amen? Amen. We, we, we don't want to leave the things of God and the things we're learning and grow, gr- growing in, in, in the building. We actually want to take those things home with us, right? Okay, good, good. Your spouse will appreciate it if you do that. So will your kids and your employers and those kinds of things. If you actually live your Christianity out there, you, you'll be a better employee You'll be, a better, you'll be a better spouse, and I believe you'll be a better parent, too. So, any, any Christians that believe that? Yeah. All right, good, good. We got problems if you, if you don't. Uh, tonight, I want to talk about... I want to talk about what it, what it means to follow Christ. And um, I don't have a fancy title yet for this talk. Um, I usually get the, the titles after I preach, not before. Um, so by the time we get it put on the, on the podcast and on the app, it will have a title. I have no idea what to call it yet. If I'm done and you've got a good idea when it's over, you can come and tell me. Uh, and the best one will win. So we can put your picture on Facebook and say you got to pick the winning title uh, for the sermon. That would be cool. But there was a, uh, there was a anybody spend any time on social media besides me? Anybody get their time sucked away from them through social media like me? Okay. Hey, hey, revival's breaking out. We actually had honest Christians in the house today. That's great. That's something that you don't, that you don't have every time. But there was a, there was a little, uh, little quote that came across, um, and it was a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. And it just jumped out to me, and this has been several weeks ago. But, you know, uh, there's those things that speak to you in a moment and you know that it's going to have a greater implication later on. But you know there's just something about that moment, that, that phrase, that word, that encounter that is going to stick with you. There's going to be some, some residue from it. And that's how I know when the Lord's wanting me to talk about something. It's when those kinds of things in my daily life kind of stick out to me. And it's a, it's a moment that that I want to pay attention to and, and capture almost like taking a, taking a picture. You know, when you're experiencing beauty in your life or you're experiencing a precious moment with your family, uh, how many of you have learned to appreciate that it's, it's kind of cool to have a camera right here 
to be able to capture a moment. So there's, there's, that, there's that kind of similar thing that happened when I read this quote. And I said, you know what, I've got to capture this. So I actually did. You know, I took a, a screenshot of it and I, and I saved it in my little you know, albums, a picture, camera roll. And uh, I said, you know, I'm probably going to use that to preach eventually. And tonight's that night. So I'm excited about it. Um, but let's pray. Um, because I'm, I'm going to go into I'm going to go into some dangerous territory tonight. Uh, my my life group this morning you can blame it on them. The, the the guys in my group got me brave to be able to actually actually talk about this. I said earlier that I wasn't going to have the strength uh, to do this, but you know what? God's given me the strength, so we're going to do it. It's going to be fun. So uh, we're, we're going to pray quickly. And uh, anybody, every head bowed, every eye closed. Anybody in the house tonight, and this nobody's looking around but me. You can be honest. I'm not going to call you out. I just, I just want to, I just want to pay attention to this for a moment. Um, something I feel in my heart. Anybody here tonight, really, really fighting uh, discouragement, um, and, and, and specifically, wait, wait, but specifically, appreciate the response. Specifically in the area of being a parent, discouragement in regards to your parenting. Uh, I really just feel led of the Lord to to pray something over you, and uh, if that's you, just put your hand on your heart if you've been fighting discouragement as as a parent. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see every hand, honest hand, on every honest heart tonight, and Father, I pray for a supernatural alignment to the Father's heart in the room. A supernatural alignment to the Father's heart and the Father's perspective in regards to our kids, God. Father, I I speak against the accuser that comes to discourage them as men and women of God leading in their families. And I speak against, Father, that spirit of accusation that comes to, to speak negativity in their ear about their children. And worry, Father, about what the future holds for them. I just see people fighting, what if, what if, what if, what if they turn out this way? What if they turn out that way? And, and, and I just feel in this moment that um, we just need to be reminded that God's not giving us a spirit of fear. But of power, love, and a sound mind. And I say over you in the name of Jesus that you are going to parent from a place of power from a place of love, and from a place of a sound mind. No more double-mindedness in your parenting. Speaking life, speaking life, speaking life. And Jesus, I thank you in this moment that, that your word says in Hebrews that we can boldly come to your throne to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So Lord, we receive, we receive mercy for the times that we have dropped the ball Father, where, 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 we've got, where we've got outside, of, where we've got outside of, 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 of your will, where we've got outside of your grace. And Father, we receive mercy for that. But we also in this moment receive grace, which empowers us for a better today and the hope of an even better tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. So I want to read you this quote by... Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., and it says this. You're going to like the quote. It's good. It's heavy, but it's good. Uh, I told you I was going to be a little bit dangerous tonight, right? Okay, so you need to mentally prepare for danger. Mentally prepare. 
Because chances are I'm probably going to say something at some point in time that's going to make you uncomfortable. And you know, it's so awesome because God has seen it fit to give us the Holy Spirit who's the great comforter. So if you get uncomfortable, just ask the Holy Spirit to give you a hug and everything will be okay. All right? All right. Or we, we, can, have, uh, we can have some of the ministry team on standby to, to give hugs as well. If you just if you feel uncomfortable, you feel at any moment like it's getting too dangerous, we can ask the Holy Spirit and some altar workers to come give you a hug. All right, we're ready. Ministry team, are we ready for hugs if we need it? Okay, good. All right. This is the quote. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. Martin Luther King Jr. has lived some time ago, hasn't he? But you see, there's something that happens whenever a moment of truth comes out like that and it's captured. Very similar to what happens whenever you capture a photo on your phone or camera. It becomes timeless. It's preserved. A moment in time beautifully preserved. And you can go back and you can look at pictures. I was earlier today going back and looking through pictures on my, on my phone. And uh, I've got five kids. They're all very young. My oldest one is six. So yes, you can figure out that uh, I, I pray often, and I, and, I, and I personally feel discouraged a lot, so that's why I was sympathetic to pray for, pray for you guys. And just because we're gluttons for punishment, we decided that after our fifth child, a month after she was born, we needed to get a puppy, because that's just the greatest thing <laughs> in the world to do. Um, so I say I have five, I really have six kids. Uh, and, and anyway, but in, in the midst of all that, I was looking through my phone and I was looking at pictures. Uh, my oldest, my oldest, my daughter, um, is, is six now turning seven this year. And I found some pictures on my phone when she was like one and two years old. And it's awesome because I can look at those pictures and I can, and I can immediately go back there. Even though I'm not there, I can immediately go back there. And that moment's beautifully preserved in time. And there's voices that speak to us from the past. And even though they're, not, they're no longer with us in the present, in, in physical form, the things they've said have been so beautifully captured in time that they seem to fit into the middle of what's going on today. Kind of like that picture that I looked at earlier today from when my oldest two were a little younger. Even though it was from the, fa- the past, it fit kind of in a beautiful way today because I was able to see it and I was able to remember some things and I was able to actually have a greater degree of perspective in the present because of a picture from the past. And I had a realization that time really does go by fast. I've had people tell me that my whole life. It doesn't feel like it's been almost seven years since I had her and I know there's people in the room whose kids are grown and married and you've got grandkids and I've talked to you and people in my family that are in that season of life and they tell me time goes much faster than you think. But there's something that happens whenever we preserve something beautifully in a moment and we reflect on it in the present. You know, it has the ability to speak to us to, to, in, in today's world even if it's from the past. That picture from the past that I looked at gave me the ability to see things a little bit differently in the present. Is that making sense? Okay. None of this has to do with what I'm going to talk about. I'm just elaborating. I'm elaborating to drive home the point of how we can read this quote and it feels like, did he write that today? 
I don't know about you, but, but I read that and, and I look at the, the current state of the church and I can't speak from a global position in regards to the church around the world, but I can speak to the geographical context that I'm in as a 21st century American and a part of the American church, the church in the United States of America. And what I can see is that this, this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. seems to be able to speak to us even in the midst of the present time that we're in, a voice from the past. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. There's one word in there that I need to spend a little bit of time with the limited time that I have to help explain. And it's a word that can be misunderstood. And it's a word that kind of means different things to different people. And it's the word prophetic. I think we're good with every other word in that quote except for the word prophetic because that means different things to different people. Zeal kind of means the same thing to everybody. Irrelevant social club, that kind of paints the picture of just us getting together and playing church and this is where we come and, and we just hang out and not having spiritual authority means that we don't really have any real impact or influence in the community we're in or the city that we're in or in people's lives. This is just kind of the place that we come together to feel better about ourselves, to make life a little bit more pleasurable. I see so much of this going on in our context, in the sense of 21st century American church. And what I found is, and don't forget, I'm, don't forget, and I'm not going to forget, that I'm going to come back and do a little bit of expansion on this word prophetic to help it kind of make sense of where we're going tonight. But we're living in the midst of a culture that worships customization and convenience. We live in the middle of a generation that wants things customizable and convenient. It's funny, and I can get in trouble for saying this, but you know, I'll I'll take the I'll take the consequence. But even in even in even in contexts that are very close to us, in regards to things that are upcoming, like Serve Day, everybody knows Serve Day is upcoming, right? It's funny some of the feedback that that I hear sometimes. It's just funny. Some of the feedback that I hear in regards to opportunities to serve, and this kind of just speaks to what happens whenever the current worldly culture is forming us more than Christ is, is that I, I, I hear some things, and, and nobody's told me this directly, but you know, you just walk around, you just hear people talk. And I don't even know for sure what point in time this came from, but you just hear things in the buzz of community. And even in a community as awesome as ours, and I believe Victory Life Church is an awesome community, Amen. <laughs> We always have to make sure that we're not falling victim. And part of the job of the, of the overseer of, of, of the church in, in this particular location and in this particular campus for this city, I've, I've been set in to be the overseer of that. Paul talks about shepherds and spiritual authorities in your life as people that are keeping watch over your souls. They're kind of like spiritual doctors teaching you how to inoculate yourselves with certain spiritual vaccinations to keep you from getting into the mess of the viruses and the, con- and, 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 and the contagious processes that are happening in an ungodly age. 
And some of the things that happen, some of the things I overhear are just so funny. One of the comments that I overheard in regard to serve day is, I'm just having a really hard time signing up for something that I want to do. I'm having a hard time picking a project that I want to do. It's funny to me because it speaks to what happens whenever we allow the culture around us to form us more than the Christ within us. Do you know that the whole concept of service and serving is to do something without your personal feeling and preference being connected to it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's to do something for the betterment of somebody else. It, it, it's, it's to do something sacrificially. See, and as soon as you start talking this way, people get uncomfortable. Because for some odd reason, we think that those things in the church don't cross paths. They don't come together. I'd like to make a very strong case that the Christian life has a particular shape. Following Christ has a particular shape. And it's a shape that God wants to get his hands like potter, like a potter does clay around your heart and to do particular things in your heart that creates a particular form, a type of formation in your heart. Proverbs says that out of your heart, the entire course of your life is determined or the issues, the things, the directions of your life are flowing out of a place of your heart. And what happens in the midst of a culture, an age that worships customization and convenience is we look at things like service and say, yeah, okay, I'll do that, but as long as it's enjoyable. As long as it's something that speaks to me. That mentality and following Christ doesn't ever hold hands. That's not the way of Christ. That's the way of the current age, which is customization and convenience. Anybody know about the comedian John Christ? He's funny. For some, he's a little irreverent. That's kind of one of the things I like about him is he makes people uncomfortable. But I just like things that make us uncomfortable because I don't know if you know this or not, but as 21st century Americans, we are entirely too comfortable. Entirely too comfortable. And, and, and I know we're entirely too comfortable uh, just, just because of the things that I see in, in the culture. And you've got to have your spiritual eyes open. You have, to, you have to be able to see the way, if you're not careful, that a culture that prides itself on making things customizable and convenient is shaping your soul more than you're giving it credit for. Amen. So, here's one of the things that, that happens. Austin, where was I going before that? John Chris, thank you. I love the convenience and the customization piece. John Chris, he does this little sketch, and it's really funny. But it's, uh, he, he's in his living room, and he wakes up, and he says, uh, he says uh, are you tired of getting in your car and actually having a drive to go to church and fighting the weather? He says, welcome to virtual reality church. And he gives you these, these goggles that you wear, and you go into VR, and you get to pick what type of service you're going to go to and how you want the preacher to be dressed and what kind of songs that you want to have played. And he, it's funny, there's even a, a sermon filter that lets you pick the level of conviction you want in the service that day. 
dude, I really want, I really want kind of a motivational speech and not a lot of Bible references. And, and you pick all these things and you get to customize it. And, and, and it's so funny because one of the things he says, and this is why I like it. And Pastor Lee, you're going to laugh at this because it's funny. But uh, he says, and, and if you do pick a, 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 a Pentecostal option, you want to make, make sure that you're standing close to your mattress for whenever you fall. <laughs> whenever you fall. <laughs> Whatever you fall over. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Now, some people get that and they get they feel like that's irreverent and that's okay. I, I, I kind of have this thing for going after a religious spirit. So if that's bothering you, you're just religious and you don't know it. But here's the thing. Jesus is laughing right now because it's, it's funny. But here's, here's one of the things that you know. I look at things like that and, and it's an interesting thing that's happening because what I'm finding is, is that comedians in the culture today are, are, are extremely prophetic. They're, they're using humor and they're masters of communication because they're using humor to be able to give large, bold, prophetic critiques of what's wrong with the culture. And we laugh and we swallow it because a spoonful of sugar really does help the medicine go down. But that, that sketch didn't come just by a random thought, that sketch came through an observation. See, the reason you laugh whenever a comedian talks is because he's talking about things with humor that are extremely relatable to you. They're not things way out of left field. They're not deeply philosophical. They're so apparently, blatantly, loudly every day that it's humorous because of how true it is. Welcome to a church that's in danger. I believe that the church in America is in danger in the sense of being a viable, sustainable agent of change in cities around this great nation if we lose our prophetic zeal. Now back to that word prophetic. The word prophetic is really best understood as God-inspired verbiage. Something that's originating in the heart of God that he wants to say to a particular people in a particular time through a particular vessel, i.e. a prophet. Sometimes the prophet's John Christ. Sometimes the prophet could be Isaiah. Sometimes the prophet could be Pastor Lee delivering a word of encouragement tonight. Comes in all different shapes and sizes. And this is a fairly old tradition. If you go and you look at the Old Testament, there's a lot of prophets. Did you know that? Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. And if you're doing any Bible reading plan and you're in the middle of all that, it gets better. Just keep reading, okay? It's heavy and it's, and it's monotonous and it's long and, and I get that. But one of the things that you'll find is, is that Old Testament prophets that were speaking prophetic things were always looking at the current culture dead in the face and living and preaching an alternative. The nature of prophecy is not just to release something from God's heart. It's actually supposed to be modeled in a life. And this is why Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 says that the testimony of Jesus is 
the spirit of prophecy. See, long ago, the book of Hebrews says that in many times and in many ways, God has spoken to humanity through the prophets and through the law. But now in this time, this final time, he's chosen once and for all to reveal what's in his heart and how he really wants us to live life through his son. That's why Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is the ultimate prophetic message to the world now and always. Everything that the Old Testament prophets were trying to point toward. For example, Isaiah speaking in chapter, 11, uh, chapter 1, verse 11 of, of, his, of his writing, talking about how God is tired of sacrifices. He's tired of the religiosity that the chosen people of God, the Israelites, were engaging in in the day. He was staring the culture dead in the face and comparing it with what was going on in the church, if you will, and saying God's tired of, allow, of you allowing the culture, you allowing the culture around you to shape your communities of worship more than the spirit of God that longs to be upon you. And what's happening is, is that if you go and you read this prophetic, these prophetic passages all throughout the Old Testament, what you find is this constant pull on the hearts of God's chosen people away from God and toward other groups. Away from following the way of Yahweh into multiple diverse ways and multiple diverse gods. Time and time again. So much so that it finally gets to place in Jeremiah that God, who has married himself to Israel and has chosen Israel to be his covenant people, has chosen Israel to be his bride, he gives some very strong language and he says that I'm tired of you playing the harlot. I'm tired of you being unfaithful to me time and time and time again. And something that's a big newsflash for a lot of people, but God actually writes Israel a bill of divorcement. If you've been through a divorce in the natural, I got good news for you. God can sympathize because he's been through one. Something not a lot of places would tell you because, just truth, honesty, not a lot of people read the Bible. But in the midst of all that, God gets to a point, and kind of other case in point here, that's why Jesus talks about that, that there's spiritual grounds to to, to uh, or the New Testament talks about the spiritual grounds for divorce in the natural if the spouse is unfaithful. And the reason for that is, is that God's never going to set a double standard. He never tells you to do anything and then he lives the exact opposite because Jesus is not a hypocrite. God wrote Israel a bill of divorcement and I can tell you this, God has been remarried. And do you know who God and Jesus has been remarried to? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the new Israel this new creation identity that you and I are a part of. And there's a day coming where that marriage feast is gonna be, is gonna culminate and consummate it on the earth and we are going to rule and reign with Jesus forever as his bride. It's a beautiful thing. So this chosen people, the, the Israelites are constantly shaped more by the culture than the Christ, if you will. And, and what happens is, is God writes this bill of divorcement and he eventually now comes in Jesus, woos, <laughs> romances, a group of people 
that were not a part of the original grouping. the, The invitation was extended to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but what ends up happening is that pagans and Gentiles start wanting to be in on it quicker than the former people do. And there's this new bride that is presented in, and Christ has now married himself to that, covering a whole lot of scripture in a limited amount of time. This prophetic thing that Martin Luther King's talking about, this prophetic zeal, really is rooted in this. It's rooted in the church demonstrating something other than the culture it's in the middle of. Because here's the thing. The culture is always going to try to pull you like it pulled the Israelites in the Old Testament and like it tries to pull the church of Jesus Christ today into groups and identifiers that are separate and lesser than Jesus. This is why Jesus warns his followers, his disciples. He says this profound thing. He says, beware of the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. Because Jesus, who is the ultimate prophet, coming out to embody a totally different, radical kind of life, says there's always going to be things competing for your heart and there's always going to be things that are going to try to move you into being ineffective, stale, and empty. And some of those things look like dead religion, politics. I said it, politics. Decadence, indulgence, gluttony of the senses. You got to understand that Jesus is living in the middle of a time when Rome was the superpower in the world. You go and look and you study in regards to the way that Romans lived, the epitome of opulence. The epitome of decadence, the epitome of excess, deciding right and wrong, good and evil on their own terms. You go and look at what was happening in the, in the empire of Rome at the time. Relationships between women and women and men and men were celebrated in the culture. You go and look at the time, there was an abundance because of the wealth, because of the, because of the military power, there was an abundance of resources. There was an addiction to comfort. There were Roman feasts that would go on for days in the upper echelons of society, so much so that they would just lie on couches and beds and actually have people come and feed them. We might not go to those kinds of extremes, even though there's some days that laying on a couch and somebody bringing you food sounds pretty awesome. We might not go to those kinds of extremes in our personal lives, but I can tell you that we live in the midst of a time to where we binge from our couches on things that are molding our souls a particular way. We live in the midst of a time that there's groups and things within a culture that are trying to suck in the church to cause it to lose its prophetic zeal to become ineffective because the greatest enemy of the Christian life is compromise. It's being able to say that, well, because of grace, 
there's things in my life now that I can spiritualize and justify and my addiction to customization and my addiction to comfort is okay because of what Christ has done on the cross. And what happens in the midst of that kind of a culture is something very tragic. And what happens is, is that people lose sight that they weren't just saved from something through Jesus' death. They were actually saved for something to model a particular kind of life. They weren't just freed from the power of sin, death, and the grave, and hell, just to be able to now heap up and hoard and live a life of base-level comfort, but they were actually delivered from all those things to live as prophetic witnesses in the midst of a community, in the midst of a society, in the midst of a world of a kingdom that is coming, and a king that's coming also. And to be people that are living with the prophetic zeal and are living as a holy, everybody say holy, holy Holy people. A lot of people get freaked out with the word holy when in truth the thing about holy is it just means other. (laughs) See, there's a problem whenever the church in the American context looks more like the culture around it and behaves more like the culture around it than the Christ that's supposed to be burning on the inside of them. And it manifests in little, in little ways that are easy to excuse, easy to sweep under the rug. Like, I just can't find anything that I would enjoy doing on serve day. Because for some reason, the Christian life has now become all about ourselves. And the Christian life is about making sure that I press all the right numbers on the spiritual vending machine to get every little thing that Christ's blood on the cross gets me. When it's actually about understanding how much we've already been given and making a decision to boldly, sacrificially, selflessly share it with a hurting world. There is a shape to the Christian life. And it's not the shape that your gluteus maximus has left in your lazy boy. It's not the shape that your arm has now woven a perfect spot in in your leather chair. It's not the shape of your preferences and your shows being readily available right in when you click on the screen on Netflix. It's not the shape of having your Firehouse subs menu, customized so that you can do fast painted orders exactly what you want when you want it. It's not about being able to pull up for the curbside delivery. That's not the shape. Those are benefits of a culture that we live in, but it's not the shape of Christianity. The shape of Christianity is and will always be cruciform. Everybody say cruciform. Cruciform means in the shape of a cross. In fact, smack dab in the middle of the Gospels, Luke 9, verses 18 through 36, there's an outline of things that happen in these 18 verses of Scripture. Praise God. I believe I received supernatural time. Four minutes and 30 seconds. We're going to see a miracle tonight, James. This is going to be awesome. So a few things happen. Peter confesses Jesus as Christ in these 18 verses, which is a good thing that we probably all should do, recognize that Jesus is Christ. If you haven't done that, tonight's your night, praise God. And then as soon as Peter 
identifies and realizes that Jesus is the Christ, the very next thing that happens is, this, you go back and read these 18 verses on your own. Actually, read your Bible this week. Praise God. Luke 9, 18 through 36. Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, and immediately after, Jesus says, if anybody wants to follow me, that's kind of what confessing Christ is, right? When you confess Christ, you're saying, you're Lord, and I want to follow you. That's what that means. We're going to follow Jesus. Jesus knows this. Peter has identified that Jesus really is the Christ. He's confessed him as Christ. And then Jesus immediately says this. If any man wants to follow me, you know the passage. It's not on, any, it's not on anybody's refrigerator or on their desktop screensaver. But it's this. Let them deny themselves, take up their and follow me. The Christian life has a shape. And it's not the shape that the culture wants to do in your heart with customization and convenience. It's the shape that still has nails in its hands that wants to touch your heart and shape it into a cruciform existence which looks like dying to self. Because I don't know if you figured this out or not yet, but you and I are the problem. We have to die so that real life can come. Jesus then says, anybody that wants to, anybody that seeks to save their life will lose it. This isn't Zach's commentary. This is in red. These are the words of Jesus. I told you that in Hebrews, it says that in many times, in many ways, God has spoken throughout history, through the prophets, through the law, but now in this time, he's made a decision once and for all to speak through his son. So when Jesus says something, it's final authority. See, we don't get to shape Christianity the way we want it to be. And here's the bummer. You don't get to customize Christianity. You don't get to customize Christianity based upon your convenience. And your preference. That's not what this thing is. And sometimes I really wish that I had this other anointing on my life besides what I do. Because I want to sometimes just get up and smile and tell you stories about my grandpa and tell you how awesome your life is going to be but I just can't do it. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I apologize in advance that I've got to bring you some prophetic reflection into your life. I want you to access the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I want you to wrestle with this because me talking along this line doesn't do anything to the character and nature of God. He's extremely patient. He's extremely loving. He's extremely kind. And this life is cruciform, which means it's difficult, but it's a beautiful thing. He's never one time asked you to do it alone. He's actually gone before you to show you how, and then he's hooked us all together so that we can do it as a community. As soon as you move into condemnation, you'll also move into isolation, and that's not God's best for your life. Talks like this should spur conviction in you, and true godly conviction will always make you move deeper into community. Communion with the Father and communion with each other. Is everybody following me? Peter confesses that Jesus is Christ. Jesus talks about self-denial and how you're really gonna find your life. 
Let me tell you, there is no 12 steps to a better you. There's one step, die to you, live to Christ. You could call it two parts, but it's one step. You're the problem, you need to die. You need to be born again. That's it. That's how you get to be better. Period. Simple. You have to die and you have to let Jesus resurrect you into a new prophetic type of way of being a human being. And you have to reckon yourself dead sometimes every day to remind yourself, I am living a new way. And convenience and customization and what the culture has to offer is a cheap counterfeit that has lured people in and suckered them for thousands of years. The church of Jesus is supposed to be above the culture. And quite frankly, it's supposed to be influencing it with the things of heaven for the better. Then something radical happens, (laughs) as if nothing radical has happened yet. Jesus takes Peter and who is the other one that goes up on the mountain with the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter and John, they go up the mountain and they go, I never claim to be a Bible scholar. I'm fine being who I am. I'm not above getting some help. I like interactive church. Got to make sure everybody's awake. I'll ask somebody besides Austin next time. He's just closest to me right here. Peter and John go up this mountain and James, thank you, Dustin. Peter, John, and James, three of them, they go up the mountain And it's on the mountain that Jesus is transfigured in front of them. See, it wasn't that Jesus wasn't already these things that they saw. This glory, this presence, this fire coming out and being released to them. And they see it. It's that because of this veil of flesh that we currently live in, they they were prevented from seeing those things. But on the mountain, their eyes are open to what kind of prophetic person holy person Christ really was. And this interesting thing that happens, Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain. Wild. And this is what happens. They show up and it's probably Peter because he's always speaking before he thinks. He says, we need, to be a, we need to build some tents and one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah and we need to build a monument to all three of you. We need to just hang out here. Forget the other guys. This is where it's at. We can be exclusive. We can have our own thing going. We can be our own little group here on the mountain. And this is what happens. God, the Father, speaks. And he says, this is my son. Listen to him. And at that time, the Hebrew passage was being fulfilled. That in many times and in many ways, God had spoken through the law, Moses, and the prophets. But now in this final time, God has chosen to speak once and for all in Christ. That's why Jesus could get away with things like, Moses told you this, but I tell you this. Because see, the culture, even in religious communities, is constantly trying to pull you into groups where things are Lord other than Jesus. It's the nature of religion. Ritual is Lord before Jesus. Tradition is Lord before Jesus. There's always at least two groups that are trying to pull you in and get you to identify more with them than with Christ. That's why Jesus talked about beware of the Pharisees' leaven and Herod's leaven. 
Beware of empty, dead, pretentious religion and be aware of liberal, political, ideology, philosophy. In fact, just be aware of the virus of politics altogether. And that's why we have people, even in the church world, that get pulled into identifying with elephants and donkeys more than they do with the lamb. Because there's always, there's always at least two groups that's trying to pull you in. There's always at least two groups working the culture to get you to make them Lord, them God, instead of Christ. And the way of Jesus and the way that we release the prophetic, I'm about to preach now. The way we release the prophetic zeal of the Lord of hosts, the way we release the prophetic testimony of Jesus into the world is that both groups, Pharisees and Herodians, elephants and donkeys should both kick you out of the club. You should end up wanting to be, they, both groups should end up hating you and wanting to crucify you. I'll prove it to you. Check this out. It's in Luke. Where are you at? Come to me. I'm getting too excited. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Jesus is in the temple. And he's going to preach a message early on in his ministry. You're going to see this at play. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus pulls out the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, a prophet. Everybody okay? He takes it. And I'm just decided I'm just going to end up going along. There's just no way around it. Forgive me, God. Forgive me. All right, kids workers, forgive me. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that's going to happen. I have to get this out, okay? Jesus preaches a message. He pulls out the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he reads Isaiah 61. You know it. It's a feel-good one. For the Spirit of the Lord God's upon me because he's anointed me. Preach liberty to captives. Proclaim sight to the blind. It's a good, charismatic scripture. You're going to want to, yeah, it's okay, that's awesome. That's what they did too because there's a group there that we're about to find out is way more formed by the culture than by God because in the midst of this thing, he talks about this and the people are listening and they're close by and they say, is that Joseph's boy? He's always such a good boy. But where did this authority come from to speak this way? He really gave me goosebumps when he was talking. Talk about some fire-filled preaching. That was awesome. So this group over here, yeah, go Jesus. And just as soon as you think Jesus is about to fit in the church crowd, he does something just like Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't fit into any of these groups' little boxes. Because as soon as you can fit him into a box, you one day open up and realize he'd never been in there anyway. Jesus can't fit with the Pharisees. He can't fit with the Herodians. And don't worry, even in Jesus' time, there were Republicans called publicans. He ate with them too, and they, he didn't fit in that group either. And then he hung out with the liberals, and he hung out with the sinners, and he hung out with the people that were free love and just wanted to worship self and exalt self. And he actually, to be honest, got better response in those communities than some of the other ones. Because, But, but in the midst of all this, what ends up happening is that Jesus is constantly rejected by these different groups. But he's always received by hungry people that are like Peter saying, you're the Christ. And they come from these groups and they come from the culture, but something happens. They stop identifying with their group and they start identifying with Jesus and they take on this cruciform existence and they say, I'm going to follow the lamb. See, it doesn't matter if you start out in one of these groups. It doesn't matter if you start out totally saturated by the culture. What matters is how you finish on judgment day. 
That, that's what matters. And see, if the church is going to have real impact in the world, then it's got to be able to model Jesus, not elephants or donkeys or Pharisees or Sadducees or Herodians or Romans. It's got to be able to model the kingdom of God because God's doors are open to donkeys and elephants if they'll make a decision to kill both of them, have a barbecue and walk with the lamb. I told you, this is so dangerous. And this is what happens. The preaching's so good. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61. You like it when you hear it too. And just when you thought Jesus was going to fit in, I love Jesus so much. He never fits in. He never does. He's always strategically positioned right in the middle of the two groups in the way of grace and truth, in the way of balance, in the way of light and life. And it's offensive because it's truthful. As soon as it looks like he's going to fit into their box, he says, you're probably going to tell me an old proverb. Physician, cure yourself. Work the same works that you've worked out there in your hometown. He said, well, let me tell you this. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, Jesus, where are you going? You were preaching so good. I feel like that sometimes. Where are you going, Zach? You were preaching so good. (laughs) He said, I'm going to tell you, in the days of the prophet, Elijah, Elisha, there were many widows that were having a tough time in the middle of a famine. And he references a story out of an Old Testament prophet. It's life. He says, but God saw it fit to bring the man of God to the widow at Zarephath and make sure that she had abundance. The widow at Zarephath was a pagan, not, n- not a God worshiper. And the crowd starts to get a little uneasy because Jesus is starting to challenge their assumptions because he thinks that they're gonna fit their group and fit their culture and fit their norms. And he says something even more dangerous. He says, there were many lepers at that time in Israel also, but the man of God went to Naaman, commander of the Assyrian army. Okay, let me tell you this. Assyrians and Israelites did not get along. Assyrians were such a violent, terroristic, militaristic group of the day that they would actually, the people they had conquered in battle, they would actually skin their defeated foes and hang those up outside the camps to strike fear into the hearts of people. They were sadistic. And they were as pagan as all get out. And Jesus says that God sought fit to bring a cure to leprosy, not to a holy, God-fearing Israelite, but to a pagan general. And at this point in time, the crowd's kind of feeling like some of you are. You know what they said they did? They went from good preaching, come on with it. Said the entire crowd was filled with rage and they looked for a way to hurl him off a cliff. Just when you think that Jesus is gonna fit the culture, he does something just like Jesus And he talks about the kingdom of God instead. Just when you think that Jesus is going to meet the customizable preference 
and customization and comfort of your life. He does something just like Jesus and says, deny self, take up your cross and follow me. He says, die to your opinions and learn to receive my truth. You know what would happen to our political systems if we made a decision to let God be our authority? Granted, in the midst of a difficult time, we often look in, into things that are going on in the groups and things that are part in society and we're just looking for glimmers of hope. We're looking for glimmers of Christ. But let it never be said that a world is looking into a group called the church looking for just glimmers of hope and glimmers of light and glimmers of life. That might be true in the midst of political groups and religious groups. But if the world is going to look in on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they better see the blazing sun radiating in the middle with a prophetic zeal that's otherworldly and that's full of the kingdom of God. Let it never be said of the church in our day what's being said in our political arenas and our religious arenas of today in 21st century America that we're just looking for some good. We're looking for some change. We're looking for some semblance of power because a church that loses its prophetic zeal is no longer able to impact the world the way that Christ wants it to. The beautiful thing about it is this, is that there's always, I love it, Pastor Dwayne said it on Sunday, something that I've said in my heart to God for a long time. There's there's always a remnant. There's always a group of people that know what it means to live cruciform, to deny groups, to deny agendas, to deny labels, and to follow hard after Jesus. And to say, in the midst of my time, I want to be somebody that's able to find myself in surprising and strange places. Following God in a cruciform type of life might take you to some strange places places. For Peter, it was to a Roman official's house. He's on a roof and he has a vision about the difference between really what's clean and unclean. And God messes with his opinion. I'm really glad that Peter didn't make a decision to allow the customs and culture of his day to keep him in his isolated group. But whenever Jesus showed up in truth and said, don't call unclean what I call clean, but go to that Gentile's house and present the gospel. I'm so glad that Peter was able to do that because he wasn't sold out to a label and to a political ideology and to a religious context, but he was sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ and he had died to self and he said, I'll go where you tell me to go and I'll minister to who you tell me to because at the end of the day, you are Lord and you're the prophetic zeal in my heart that I'm ready to read. See, following Jesus could take you to some strange places. For Paul, it was from being a persecutor to an apostle. I'm so glad that the apostle Paul was willing to let go of some religious labels and some group mentalities to move into a place of being the forerunner and the father of Christian faith for the Gentiles. I'm very thankful for that personally, being a Gentile, a non-Jew. For Thomas, it was moving out of a place of skepticism to now being the first martyr in the country of India. How does a skeptic and a doubter go to somebody so sure of Jesus that they're willing to die for their faith? 
I can tell you how. Cruciform living. Prophetic zeal in his heart. Willing to live an alternative. In a day and age where the culture was able, wasn't able to put out the fire. Even Jesus, the Lord himself, in following God, <laughs> following the Father's will, left heaven to destroy the powers of hell. Amen. See, following God might take you to some strange places. At the end of the day, the question is this. What are you allowing to form you? What are you allowing yourself to be shaped by? What are you allowing to be contained and housed in the walls and horrors of your heart? Is it the, the prophetic alternative that the world needs to see? Is it the cure? Or is it just part of the disease that's at work in the current age? What are you being shaped by? The remedy is simple. Alignment to Christ. Surrender to cruciform living. And remember that we're not in this group and we're not in this group. We're in a family called the kingdom of God. People that don't know identity, they find their worth and their value and their safety in peripheral groups. But people that have made a choice to follow Jesus and have made themselves safe in the love of God, they're perfectly at home in the kingdom. And that kingdom is its own leaven, which will override the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of donkeys and elephants and the leaven of religious groups and denominationalism. It's the leaven of the kingdom that looks like the broken body of the Lord Jesus and his blood poured out for all. God wills that none should perish, but that all might be saved. God so loved that he gave. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. A saved people living with prophetic zeal are a signpost to a generation of the hope that can happen and the hope and healing that can be released into the world. The question is, are you actively a part of that or have you allowed yourself to be sidelined and malformed by culture of groups or have you allowed yourself to be grafted in to that root of Jesse? <laughs> have you allowed yourself to be grafted in to that abiding vine of the fruitfulness of the anointed one, Jesus Christ? And are you modeling the zeal for the kingdom of God far above your zeal for anything that this current world has to offer? Ministry teams, if you want to come. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Honest moment between you and the Lord. I talked a really long time. <laughs> Don't worry, you're going to get a break.
Thank you for honoring me and sitting with me through this evening. I can tell you with assurance that if I had one thing to preach that I knew would be the last thing that I'd ever get to say to a community of faith, it would be something as close to what I said tonight. That's how much I believe in the Jesus way. And that's how much I believe that love for this world will rob you and kill love of the Father in your heart. And I believe that times like tonight where we can recenter in honesty and ask the Holy Spirit a question, have I taken up an identity that's made the call of Christ inferior in my life? Have I let something become my God other than Jesus? And to repent. Nights like tonight, in my personal opinion, is what keeps the church in America viable for my children and their children's generation. If you're here tonight and you know that there's a work needed in your heart based upon the things that I've said in this extended period of time, I just ask you to open your hands and surrender to the Lord. I'm opening my hands with you and I'm not looking around at all. My eyes are closed. There's a private moment between you and God. And I'm going to pray. And just in a moment of surrender between you and the Lord, I just ask you to be honest with God about whatever needs to happen in your life and know that he's here to help and he's put you in a community of faith and that you were here tonight for a reason and for a purpose. He's not going to leave you as an orphan. He walks this with you by means of the Holy Spirit that he's put inside of you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here tonight and you have never made a decision to say yes to the Lord Jesus, you have never even taken the initial step of asking him into your heart and your life and you need to do that and you know you need to. You're ready to be right with God. You're ready to declare Jesus as your Lord. I ask that you just lift a hand right where you sit. Make sure I see it. After I see it, you can put it down. Anybody in the house before we pray, just want to make it available. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. As those of you in the room that have your hands open, my eyes are going back closed now. Father, we're honest with you tonight. We pray, Father, that we would allow ourselves to be surrendered afresh and anew to the Christ within us. And Father, that true religion and undefiled is this, to care for the widow and the orphan in their affliction and to remain unstained by the world. Father, reprioritize our hearts tonight to care about what you care about, to be shaped by the things of heaven. Father, to become heavenly minded so that we can actually be earthly good. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done on this earth as it is in your heaven. Father, put a zeal back in the hearts of your people tonight. Father, we believe that we're a part of an amazing faith community called Victory Life Church. But we also believe that there's deeper still. 
we believe that the best is yet to come for us as a people. So Father, we let go of every weight that so easily entangles and ensnares and we run our race with focus, with determination and with purpose, empowered by your Holy Spirit, forgiven by the cross and living with an eternal hope in the future. Let us be people that release your prophetic zeal, the testimony of Jesus into this world so that many might be saved and delivered from a culture of darkness. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.